So uh, if you've got uh, a Bible with you, you can uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the, the apps or your device or whatever uh, that, that you might have. Last week we started this series called Revival and really talked about the crux of the matter was what we talked about is that what we need to do as believers is we need to quit hollering at each other. Um, what has happened over the last year or so in our country especially is that Christ followers have been taking sides and picking things. And it's not things that are all necessarily worth getting divided about, right? And we've been trying to tear one another down instead of trying to build one another up. And the scriptures say, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage one another, lift one another up. The world's already against us. And so I said, hey, listen, so we're going to really talk especially to Christ followers. And I even said that there is so much divisiveness and so much really, I hate to use the word, but hatred that is exhibited sometimes between Christ followers that, that, you know, that we're in danger of our country burning to the ground and that we need God to bring healing and that no person, no politician, no government, no, um, no policy, no Republican, no Democrat, nobody is going to come up with a solution to fix the divisiveness that's in our country that what we have to do is we need to, because it says if, verse last week said, if my people who are called by name, so my, my name, Christ followers, if we would humble ourselves, what would happen? And that's how it began to change our country, not by telling other people, this is what you need to get straight, but saying, hey, this is what I need to get straight, and I need to get in alignment with what my Heavenly Father wants me to do. And let's start with ourselves, and then uh, let's still show kindness and love and all these other things to other people, but we need to start with ourselves, and God is the one who is going to bring about healing. There are a bunch of people at Southcrest. I mean, a bunch. When I say a bunch, I, I mean maybe a couple hundred, maybe more than that, who are praying for revival, praying that God brings about change, that where there was death and destruction, that he brings life and rebuilding and that we see things happen that we've never seen happen before. And so I'm excited to see what God is going to do and where we're going to be. And so uh, we, we spent some time talking about that last week. And so if you missed it, I don't say this very often, but if you missed that one last week, you should go back and watch that or listen to it on our podcast so that you can kind of catch up with where we are a little bit. But especially, you know, we're talking especially today to Christ followers. And, and here's the, the thing that's really crucial is that uh, when God does something, he starts with his people. When God does something, he tends not to start with others first. He starts with his people. Uh, that's, where he, that, that's where he does something. Historically, biblically, we see that over and over and over again. That's where he starts. And if God is wanting to do something, and I believe that he is, if God wants to do something, if he wants to accomplish something, if he wants to say, God, yeah, I want to see you do something, then we need to allow him to do what he does, to start with us. And, and that may be sort of a difficult thing for us to, to swallow, but that is what, where it starts, and that's our opportunity. You know, Second Chronicles 7, 14, we talked about this last week, says, if my people who are called by my name, so that's Christ followers, right? Uh, those who are in the family of God, if we humble ourselves, if, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then what happens is then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what we need. We, we need healing in our land. Some of us need healing in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, but that's what we need to see happen. We, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a, yeah, that would be great. Yes, do you want that to happen? Absolutely. But that's what we need to see happen. And so basically the question that we're talking about today is how do we move in God's direction so his blessing can come into our lives? right? Because here's what happens. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. If you think you can handle it, that you can take care of it, God, I tell you what, you stay over there. I got it right here. I'll call you when I need you. I'm good right now. Just stay over there. I like the way things are. I don't like things being adjusted and moved and changed and all that. I'm very comfortable where things are. If I have a crisis, I'll call you. Why don't you just stay over there? God's opposed to that. He's like, no, no, I want to be in relationship with you. I don't want to be your butler. I, I, I don't want to step in just when you need something. I want to be with you all the time. Is he on some ego trip? No. He loves you so much. He knows your life is better when the two of you are like this instead of like this. That's what he wants. And so he is opposed to the proud. He's working against you. When you're proud, when you say, God, I got this, when you're sitting there and you're online and you say, yeah, I got this, I can handle this, I don't need any help, he's opposed to that. I have all kinds of other people who are opposed to me. I don't want God opposed to me. I want God on my side. I want God being for me. I want God saying, way to go, keep going. That's what I want. And so being humble is important. Basically, four things that are going on in this verse. It says, if my people will, humble themselves. If we'll say, God, I need you all the time. Not just every now and then, not just when things are difficult, but I need you all the time. If my people will humble themselves, if they will pray. There's, it's not a, oh, here, whatever. No, when we will pray, and we'll talk more about that next week. If, you, if my people will seek my face, if my people will say, you know what? Gotta keep my eyes on you first. I'm looking to you. I want to hear from you. I want to walk in your ways. He said, if we will turn from our wicked ways. I say, I say, that, I say that word wicked and some people go, dude, I, I don't like that word. That's offensive to me. I, and, and I know it's, it's one of those things we struggle with, but we don't like using the word sin. We don't like saying, I have sinned against you. Let's well, say, hey, dude, I screwed up. I, I, I messed up. I, you know, I shouldn't have said that. And sometimes we just need to call it what it is. But these four things, he says, he says, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek after my face, turn from their wicked ways. Now notice that these are not four things that are all independent, but these things are all work together, right? Because if you pray, these two especially go together. If you pray, you are just by definition humbling yourselves. God, I need some help. So you're humbling yourself. You say, I can't do that. And, and if you are seeking his face, you don't need to turn from your wicked ways because you've already got your eyes set on him. So these things actually sort of work together. But if we will do that, then what happens? It says God will hear and, and God will forgive and, and, and God will heal. That, that's what it says. If, if, if we do that, it's a conditional statement, then these things happen, right? And so when we see these words, humble themselves, right? Now notice it doesn't say humble yourself. If my people who are called by name by my name, will humble themselves. If, if we will do that, then these other things will happen. So the question is, what are 
we going to do about that? You say, well, dude, I'm going to tell you something. I don't, I don't struggle with being humble. I'm a very humble person. See, as soon as you say that, you've just made a proud statement, right? You said, well, Arthur, that's, that's kind of weird. It's kind of hard. How can you say, well, I'm walking in humility without being proud? Well, here, the, you know, the, the, the thing that's really, I think, essential for us to grab hold of is that you may not struggle with it like somebody else does, but I think everybody struggles with that. I think if you say you never struggle with humility, I think you're lying. Remember I said last week, I said that when God called out the people of Israel, his people in the Old Testament, that he'd say, my people need to repent. That doesn't mean that every single person needed to repent because there were probably some people who were walking with the Lord. But in general, everybody, and, and as a church, in general, we need to humble ourselves. We need to say, we're not all that. And I think the church in America needs to do that. But I, I think at Southcrest, that's something that we need to do because, you know, the thing is, no one can make us humble. People can marginalize you. They can guilt you. They can humiliate you. They can shame you. They can beat you. They can abuse you. They can say terrible things about you. But only you can humble yourself. No one can make you humble yourself. We can only do that ourselves. So let me show you this example from Philippians chapter two uh, about how Paul says, this is how this works by looking at how Jesus did this for us. So Philippians chapter two, it says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, he says, look, set your mind, make up your, make up your mind because your, your heart will lead you in all kinds of different directions. He doesn't say, you know, follow your heart because the Bible says that your heart can be deceptive above all things. He says, but set your mind, this is how I'm going to be. Make up your mind, determine this is what I'm going to do. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped. Because, so Jesus says, he's got everything. He's the king. He's the creator of the universe. He's got all these, all this responsibility and reigning and majesty and splendor. And he sets all that aside. He didn't hang on to it. He didn't say, I got it, this is mine, I got it. I'm gonna hang on to this, this is really important. He said he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He said, I'm hanging on to my equality with God no matter what, but rather he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He said, by taking the form of a servant, the king decides I'm going to be a servant. And he says that being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this word obedient, that's another word we don't like so much. Because obedience means that you are ceding control of your life, your situation, your desires to somebody else. We don't like that. We don't like being obedient when our boss says, hey, here's a new policy. We don't like it. When a husband or wife says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're like, hey, listen, you're not, I'm not gonna be obedient to you. You, you are not my master. We don't like it when, uh, as, a, as, a, uh, as a child, when our parent says, hey, here's what we're doing from here on out. We don't like it. We bow up against that. We said, no, thank you. We don't like it at school when a teacher says, hey, here's what we're going to do. Sometimes we don't like it when the traffic cop says, hey, stop for a minute. You're like, I think I'm gonna keep going. 
generally speaking, we don't like that word obedient. And understand that God is not on some ego trip saying, you will obey me or else. That's not his deal. He has your best interest in mind. I think if you're a parent, I think almost every child has, you've seen every, almost every child do this. There, there's a, a fire in the fireplace or you've got a, a fire in the fire pit or you've got the, the stove is on and you've got a gas stove. And at some point your kid goes over and goes, that looks pretty cool. I'm gonna reach out and touch that. Now, when I was a dad, the thought came through my mind because I saw this happen a couple of times. I'm just gonna let him touch that. That'll teach him. And that way I don't have to tell him 37 times, don't touch the fire. I know it looks really groovy, but it's going to burn you. But so of course I never did. And if I needed to, I would grab him, grab his hand and pull it away from, from the fire. That's what I would do. And was I trying to hurt him or dominate him? No, I'm saying, look, I'm trying to take care of you. And if we could get to that point as Christ followers believing that God does have the very best for us and when he says to do something, he's not on an ego trip, but he wants to do something in our lives, it would change the way that we looked at him sometimes. And it says, uh, so basically here's what happens in this passage. Jesus, uh, first of all, he lets go of power. He said, I'm not doing this, you know, I don't have to be in control. Uh, the, the second thing is that he took on servanthood. He embraced it. It says, not that he just started serving people, he took on the form of being a servant. And number three, he chose to obey God without limitations. He said, God, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Or another way we could look at those same three things. Uh, number one, we could say he let go of the past that had been his life up until then. He says, I'm not doing that anymore. What's very familiar to me and what is known, I'm going to let go of and walk into the unknown. Number two, he took hold of something new. He said, okay, this is what I'll do. I'm letting go of that and I'm going to step into something new. And number three, he chose to obey God unconditionally. He says, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. So when scripture says that we should humble ourselves if we are called by his name, if we are his people, and if this is an example of being humble that Paul uses, so here's the definition humble themselves. What does this look like? It's obediently choosing to let go of the past in order to cling to, to hold tightly to something new and better in the future. That's humbling ourselves. That's saying, God, you know better than I do. So what does that look like for us? What's the application? Well, we come to God, meaning we, we pray with having a mindset to obediently let go of what's known in order to hold on to an unknown, new, and better future, right? So the question is, do you want God to do something new and better in your life? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. Online, hey, if, if you're online, I mean, maybe put that in the comments. I want God to do something new in my life, right? Because you think, yeah, I want to be in this growing relationship with Jesus. I mean, why, you know, and sometimes we, we think we get that confused. God wants to do something in us. And we're like, I need new information. And, and having new information, if that's as far as you go, that's not real helpful. But new information coupled with inspiration may yield life change. But we're saying, look, I want something new. I, want, I, mean, oh, I just want something fresh. I want God to do something different. Now, because now, 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 almost everybody who's a Christ follower 
whether you're online, overflow, or you're in here, almost everybody says, yes, I want God to do something new in my life. But the truth is, is that most of us feel stuck, don't we? And some of us, we feel like I've been stuck for two days or two months or two years or, or, or 20 years. And you're like, I really, I, 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 I want to see God do something because you have these moments and you, you know, and you get the Jesus measles on top of your head. And you're like, oh God, this is so good. And it's so powerful. And you walk out and 20 minutes later, it's gone. Like, hey, what happened? What, 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 what happened? And, and I, I was going to do something and God, you were moving in my life. And I just walked out and went, oh God, what happened? There's not so much here anymore. What, what in the world? And maybe the reason that we feel stuck is we'd rather stay stuck in the known because listen, it may be miserable, but I know what's going on. I, look, I, I, yeah, I would like some things to be different, but you know what? I don't want my family getting jacked up. I don't want God telling us we got to go do this. That would be weird. And I'm on, my, I'm on my kids being, okay, this is all right. And I wanna know where I'm going to college. And, we, and, and we're so like, I don't wanna move anywhere. I hate being stuck, but at least I know where I'm stuck. And we're afraid to risk the unknown. And so we end up sort of getting this thing that Paul writes about in Romans chapter seven. And, and you know, I think a lot of us will put this as a screensaver on our phone, right? It says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Right, you keep doing the same thing, wanting a different result, and it's just not happening. Let me see if I can help you with this a little bit. Sometimes when I speak to men or Sometimes when I'm just talking with a man one-on-one, I'll, I'll sort of have this conversation with him. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of play along with me. So just pretend there's another guy up here besides me for just a minute, okay? And so here, here, here's what I, I do. I'm sitting there talking and I'm picking up on the fact that, you know, things are not, you know, not great, but not terrible. And so I ask him a question. I say, hey, let me ask you this question real quick. I say, um, hey, um, what do you want your life to look like five years from now? And, you know, and, and when you go to interviews and uh, assessments and, and people ask you that question, I mean, none of us like that question. And the reason we don't like that question is because we know where we are now. And that what, what hits us is, you know what? I want it to be further along than I am now, professionally, relationally, spiritually. Right? I, I wanted to know the Bible more. I wanted to pray more. I want to be more of a person than God. I'm, I'm not. And so somebody asks us that question, it reminds us, right? Because, I mean, at the first of the year, you know, last year, 2020, we say, hey, okay, here's what I'm going to do. This year, I'm going to take some big leaps with the Lord. And it got to be December. And you're like, I'll tell you what, I was wanting to go this far. And I went like this far. And, and we don't like it because it, it, it kind of bothers us a little bit when somebody asks us that question because it's going to make us think and be honest and evaluate and assess the things that have gone on in our lives a little bit. And and the other reason that that it, that that it bothers us is that most of us, we, don't, we just don't live our lives that way. We, we just think about the crisis in front of us and make, make the crisis go away. That, that, I mean, that's where we live. I mean, most of us. It's like, um, you know, I just need to take care of this. You know, I had, a, I had an argument with my wife this morning. So when I get home tonight, I just want the argument to go away. And, and we're not thinking about the long-term relationship. We're thinking about, look, I just want to be comfortable right now because, you know, that jacked everything up this morning and I didn't like it. Or, you know what, or you're, you're sitting there figuring out, look, here's what I got. I got. I got this chemistry teacher at school and she is just wearing me out. I mean, I know she's picking on me. I know I'm not her favorite student, but you know what? I'm just tired of all this. And so I'm going to figure out a way to, to get her to, you know, not treat me so 
or, or, or you sit there, look, I just want my kids to be all-star athletes. That's all I care about. I, I, I want my kid to make good grades. I want him to get the Hope Scholarship so we don't pay so much money. I, 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 that's what I want. And, and we're so concerned about the stuff in front of us that we, we never think about, hey, how, how about, you know, what's further on, right? And so I recognize that going on, right, in, in this guy's life. And, I, and so I ask him, I say, so, well, you know, what does your life look like five years from now? And they're like, oh, dude, the brother's the preacher. I better say a God thing. You know, and they're going, oh, I want to know Jesus better. Awesome. Not a bad answer. I'm not making fun. I mean, Jesus, always a good answer. Who do you love? Jesus. You know, anytime you're at church, it's, it's almost always a good thing to say, Jesus, who are you here to worship today? Jesus. Why are we here today? Jesus. What flavor ice cream do you want? Jesus. I mean, sorry, strawberry. But, 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 here, but here's it. And so the guy says, yeah, I, I want to know Jesus more. And I go, okay, great. Awesome. That's really good. So, let's, so walk with me here for just a minute. So if you knew Jesus more, if that's what you want to do, what would your life look like? And he says, well, you know what? I'd, I'd, maybe I'd have more peace in my life and maybe I'd have more joy, right? You know, that's a good church word. Uh, may, maybe I'd have that, but maybe my marriage would improve. My relationship with my kids would improve. And, and maybe I'd understand contentment and it wouldn't be about all about, I got to beat everybody up at work and I got to get the raise and got to get the promotion. And I wouldn't worry so much about money and all this other stuff. And I would have a real sense of spiritual contentment in my life. Those things would be really good. And I go, great, great answer. I said, so let me ask you something. I said, because what you got, you got some voices in your head, some tapes in your head, you know, some message in your head that's playing that, and there's a reason that you're not that person right now. And, and, and what is it? And I have to push a little bit. I got to punch a little bit on that one, right? And here's what they say. They, they're going to tell me something like, well, I, and they shuffle their feet like middle school boys and start looking at the ground a little bit. I'm like, no, 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 I'm right here. And I said, why is that necessary? Because I don't think I'm good enough. Because I don't think that God really loves me that much. I don't know that God has a purpose for me. I don't think God could do something like that for me. God doesn't know the people's lives. He doesn't do that for everybody. I said, yeah. I said, all that's negative stuff, right? That's lies. That's not what the Bible says. And I said, so hang on to that for a minute. I said, because you got another voice in your head too, right? And that voice says things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That you are made in his image. That you are adopted, that you are blessed, that you are forgiven, that you are chosen, that you have every spiritual blessing under heaven. You got that positive thing going on, right? And so if you knew that to be true, could you come to know Jesus more? Absolutely. Okay, great. So what happens if you keep that negative thing running in your head all the time and you drown out the positive stuff? What happens? You're living the life you're living right now, right? You're stuck because you're believing lies. Now, what if instead of believing the lies, you would shut off the lies and you would say, I'm just gonna get these positive biblical principles and I'm gonna set my mind on those things. What would happen? Oh, 
well, I'd, I'd be these things I talked about. I mean, I, I would be a better husband and I would love my kids and I'd be more content. I, and and that, that's, yeah, I, that's what I would do. And, and I said, well, do you think you should do that? And, and they'll say, yeah, I absolutely should do that because why not? Because if that's what God says to do, there's no risk in that, just go ahead and do it. And I go, wrong, Keebler, wrongo. Because there is risk there. That's why you won't do it. You won't do it because you think there's a risk that if you trust God, God might let you down. God might forget about you. God might abandon you. God might say, I don't have a plan for you. You're a doofus. And you think there is risk there even though you say there's not because if there was no risk there, you would live your life that way because that can be controlled, right? And they go, oh yeah. See, what we want is to control our lives. We want the outcome. We want to say, look, I can over here. I know what's going on, how it's going to work, how it's going to respond, what we're going to do, what they're going to say, where we're going to be. If I go over here and say, yeah, God, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, crud. I've moved from the unknown to the known to the unknown. So let me ask you, how's that control thing working out for you? Are you really wanting to take some steps with God? Do you want me to do something fresh in you? Do you? Why would you want to miss out on what he's got for you? See, the, the, the root of fear or, or wanting control is pride. I got this. I'm in charge. I can handle it. Pride says things like, I can meet my own needs. I don't need anybody. I can take care of myself. I can control the outcomes. I don't need help. I, I, I refuse to humble myself because then I have to look like I'm weak. Pride results in things saying like, this is good enough. I don't need to do anything any better because you know what? My life right now may not be great, but it's not terrible. And you know what? It's very comfortable for me. This is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. And you know what? At least I get some measure of control. Pride is rigid and inflexible and ostentatious and unreasonable and stubborn and arrogant and unwilling to change or obey. And pride will keep us from experiencing forgiveness, from experiencing healing and something new and better that God desires to do in our lives because we don't wanna humble ourselves. And if we are not humble, it is not because we cannot be, but because we will not be. So I'm gonna sort of give you an illustration to help you with this. Um, maybe a, a picture that you can hang on to and you can go, oh, okay. I get it. So I'm gonna read this passage of scripture from Luke 5. It's a little weird. You're like, oh God, what does that mean? So hang with me for a minute. I'll explain it to you, okay? This is Luke 5, 37. It says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. All right? So this is a wineskin. And in the days that Jesus walked the earth in the area of the world where he lived in the Middle East, there were a lot of people who were shepherds. They owned livestock. That, that, was, that was sort of their deal. And there were also a lot of people um, who had vineyards. 
Um, and so, um, you know, wine was, you know, really uh, hard to come by. It was uh, somewhat of a delicacy. And so what would happen is they would take the hide of a goat usually, and they would tan it and cure it and get it prepared. And then they would form it into a wine skin and they would sew it up so that it wouldn't have any leaks in it. And then they would harvest the grapes. And after the grapes had been harvested, they would press them and mash them and extract the juice from them. And they probably would put a little sugar and a little yeast into it. Uh, um, you know, maybe like some of you guys who've got home brew situations set up. Um, you know, a guy was the other day was telling me that he was brewing some chocolate beer. I'm like, dude, you should just dry chocolate milk. <laughs> I mean, if you got to have it, I mean, if you, if you got to have the alcohol, man, just get some Kahlua in there, have a sombrero. But I mean, that, you know, chocolate beer, that sounds gross, right? Some of you are like, dude, he said beer. I don't care. I just wanted some beer, right? So anyway, but you put some sugar and some yeast in it and it begins to uh, ferment a little bit. Uh, and so you pour it into the wine skin and this is where they would store it because they didn't have big oaken barrels or whatever it is that people store wine in. So they would pour it into the wine skin and then they would cork it. And so when it was corked and airtight, then the fermentation process at some point would begin. Some of you who are chemists, you know when that happens, I don't. Um, and so what would happen is the wine skin would, because of the gases that would be in the fermentation process, it would, the wine skin would begin to expand and it would get bigger and bigger and bigger because it was new, it could be stretched, right? And so um, they would um, use that for uh, their wine. And then, of course, when they wanted some, of course, then they would just pour it out, right? And so when he says that no one puts new wine into old wineskins, what does that mean? Well, if the wineskin was already expanded, it's an old wineskin. That means it has no more flexibility in it. It can't stretch anymore because it's already been stretched as big as it can be. So when you put new wine into it and it begins to ferment and the gases go off, what would happen? The old wineskin, because it was inflexible, it was rigid, it, had, uh, it was very tight, it would burst, and so the new wine would be wasted, right? So here's what's going on. Jesus is not talking about wineskins so much. The Pharisees are telling him, you don't know what you're talking about. If you read earlier in Luke, in this chapter, and said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what this thing is about having a relationship with God. You don't know about uh, relationship with others. All this stuff is crazy. We're right, you're wrong. And so Jesus explains it to them this way. And usually when the Bible talks about wine, it is symbolic of God or Jesus being poured into our lives. That there's a, a, a new wine. The wine skin he's talking about is us, is his people. And so what he says is that when you are so stuck in your old ways, in your beliefs, in your stuff, 
and God wants to put something new in your life, if he was to do that, the wineskin would burst and the wine would be wasted. The new wine would be wasted. And he says, so why would I do that? Why would I put new wine into an old wineskin and waste the opportunity that I have to do something in your life when you're old and flexible and rigid and not willing to humble yourself? But it says this, it says, but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. It doesn't say new wineskins, the word there's fresh. Meaning, a brand new wineskin, like somebody who's just come to know Christ, or something else. He says, and, and, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So, so, so what are we to do if we're old wineskins? And it says that new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins. What, what, what are we supposed to do? So more than you ever want to know about wineskins in your whole life, but here we go. Wineskins can be reconditioned. So the old wineskin that's stiff, that's rigid, that will burst if new wine was poured into it, it can be reconditioned. Now, how do they do that? you recondition a wineskin, a lot of metaphors going on here, right? Is you wash it out first. You wash out the inside, you clean the inside. You get all the old that was in there out. And then you take oil and you put it on the wineskin, like anointing. And you rub it in and you work the oil in, right? And then you are, begin to work the oil into the wineskin. And you mash it and you massage it and you pull it and maybe you pound it and you twist it and you do all you can. And what happens is that it begins to get soft and supple again so that new wine can be poured into an old wine skin that has been reconditioned because now it's a fresh wine skin. So fresh wine skin refers to someone who's never come to know Christ. They come to know Christ brand new or reconditioned, right? Now there's this verse, can we, can we back up one screen for one second? Yes, it says, and no one drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good. Now what does that mean? I'm not a wine connoisseur. I'm a connoisseur of Kool-Aid. Here's what I know. Generally speaking, the wine that has, is old and aged, people prefer that to something that was bottled this afternoon. But here's what I also know. For there to be good wine that is old and is rich in flavors, it has to be continually replaced by new wine. And so what God is doing is he wants to pour something new into us, right? That's what he wants to do. Now, if I was a wineskin and, you know, and I was kind of, you know, kind of old and, and stiff and, and, and rigid and, you know, and 
I was able to talk to the winemaker and the winemaker is doing this and reconditioning me. I'm like, hey, 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 hey that hurts. Why, why are you doing that? Why, why, why are you squeezing and working and twisting? And I, look, I don't like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I don't like, as a matter of fact, it hurts. I don't like what you are doing right now. I tell, so I tell you what, why don't you just stop? winemaker, because I don't like this. Why don't you just put me on the shelf? Because I don't want to go through the pain. The reason that we don't like that so much is we want to stay, even though it's not great, we say, I'll just stay stuck. So, let's skip a screen. So, remember this, we talked about this, humble yourselves, obediently choosing to let go of the past in order to cling to something new and better in the future. Remember? And we've said that pride is rigid, inflexible, ostentatious, unreasonable, stubborn, arrogant, and unwilling to change or obey. about three years or so ago, I was stuck. Most of the time you don't know you're stuck until somebody tells you. I had people tell me, Arthur, you're stuck. I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine. Arthur, you're stuck. And God loves me so much. He said, Arthur, I don't want you to be stuck. And so he took away from me almost everything that I valued. That was important to me until it was just me and him. And he said, I'm gonna recondition you. I've got something new for you. I'm gonna pour into you. But old wineskin, you're too stiff. So I'm gonna pour something into you that's new. And there are days I didn't like it. I'm like, hey, this hurts. I'd rather not. Tell you what, can we find another way to do this? I'm not really interested in this. How about that? I came out of that and the new wine he poured into me sweeter than I ever could have imagined it would be. And when you're reconditioned, right, you can hold more than you used to. That's me. How about us? I don't want us to get stuck. I don't want Southcrest to get stuck. Here's what I believe. I believe God is stirring something in our hearts. I hear about it from people who are here. I hear about people who are watching online. God wants to do something right now. It's the start of something. Arthur, what is it? I don't know. Arthur, where is this going to end up? I don't know. 
But, but here, here's what I do know. We got to let go of the things of the past, the things that we're familiar with, that we know, that we expect, that we want. Because God says, you know what? There, there, there's been a, a reconditioning of the church of Southcrest is going on right now. And he's going to, I believe, pour something into us that's sweeter and better than we've ever dreamed of. Arthur, what is it? I don't know. We, we may not even know what it is until we look back and go, oh, look, that's what it was. But if we're rigid and stiff and go, no, nah, I don't think so, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. And I think it's something that some of us have been dreaming our whole lives that we'd see God do. Some still the words from Habakkuk. He says this, he says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Are we gonna allow him to recondition us or not? Are we gonna stay stuck in what's known or are we gonna step into the unknown? If the key to receiving healing and forgiveness from God is to humble ourselves. Then what is making you stay in control? Jesus didn't power up, he humbled himself, he powered down. The opposite of obedience is control. I wanna be in control. So what is it at work, at school, at home? What is it that you say, I'm not letting go of control of this. I'm going to know the outcome. I'm going to know what we're doing, how we're doing it, when we're doing it. I'm going to be in charge. What can you let go of so that God can pour something new into you? Because you want it, you want it. But for that to happen, we gotta humble ourselves. And as he works on us, it may not be fun all the time. It may not be all rainbows and unicorns. What do you need to do? to humble yourself before the Lord. Will you pray with me?